Welcome to the Way Ministries Bible Study with Pastor John. Tonight's study will be in the book of 1 Thessalonians. We invite you to join us at 1 Oakley Avenue in North Providence, Rhode Island. This podcast is presented to you by the Way Ministries, supported by listeners like you. For donations, live videos, podcasts, and more, please visit www.thewayministriesri.org. Thank you and have a great day. Welcome to the Coming Out of the Dark Bible Study. I want to thank everyone for coming out tonight to get a portion of God's Word. First and foremost, I'd like to thank our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ tonight. Thank you, Jesus, for coming into our lives, opening our eyes, saving us from ourselves, Lord. And doing for us what we can never do for ourselves. We're eternally grateful. I'd like to thank the core of the ministry, one body, many parts. Amen. I'd like to thank people that are faithful. If you have a cell phone, can you please silence it so it doesn't disturb tonight's service? And we will start with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, our Lord and Savior, thank you for giving us another night, Lord, to gather together in your house, to worship you, to honor you, to glorify you, and to learn more about you and your ways, Lord. Help us, Lord, to make your ways our ways, Lord. Help us to put you first in our lives, Lord, as all of us fight to do that, Lord. Thank you for giving us a new life and a new purpose here, Lord. We pray for our nation. In our country, Lord, that you bring the principles of the Bible back into the White House, Lord. Please keep your heavenly healing hands on our nation, Lord, for the sake of your chosen believers, Lord, so we can glorify you and bring others into your kingdom. Keep us humble and pliable like clay in your hands, Lord, so we can glorify you and become more and more like our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray for the nation Israel that they would accept the Messiah, so that you can go in there and help them, Lord. We pray for the people that are sick and suffering in the congregation and outside the congregation and all over the world, Lord. Just realize that you're never going to leave anyone or forsake them, Lord. And everything you do is to make us more and more like Jesus, Father. And thank you for everything you do in our lives and your generous provisions that you provide each and every day. And as always, Lord, let everything be led by your spirit tonight, not my flesh. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're going to stand and worship the Lord.
body. It's a beautiful song, isn't it? How's everybody doing tonight? Good. I was just thinking about that. It's been five in a row, huh? Yeah. Right? Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. I'm loving it. <laughs> might as well just, might as well live here, right? Yeah, right. It might come to that someday. The world's going crazy out there. Oh. Man. Everybody's doing what's right in their own sight. Yeah. Nobody cares about the principles of the Bible anymore. No. Nope. Nope. And they think that we're fine without Jesus. We all know what happens when we take God out of our lives and how chaos comes and let's just pray that for the sake of his believers, God keeps his hand over our country. Jesus comes back <laughs> quick, right? All right. We are in First Thessalonians. We are going to begin in Matthew chapter 1 tonight. Let us turn there. The Holy Spirit will be taken over as I go into these scriptures. So prepare your hearts and your minds to receive the message that the Spirit is trying to say to the church tonight. Amen? Amen. Okay. Trying to stay focused. Matthew chapter 1. And we are starting in verse 18. Let me see. If I like to start there or not. All right, now let's go back to verse 15. Yeah, let's stay there. That's a good one. That's good. Okay, the birth of Jesus the Messiah. This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother, Mary, was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly. So he decided to break the engagement quietly. So now we understand that they weren't understanding spiritual things at that time. So Joseph thought that Mary cheated on him. Mm -hmm. Rightly so, because she was pregnant. Mm -hmm. So we have to understand where his head was. Yeah, was right. But he was still a righteous man and he didn't want to shame her publicly. As he considered, verse 20, as he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you want to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. 
Thank you, Jesus, right? All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. That's Isaiah. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife. But he did not have sexual relations with her until her son was born, and Joseph named him Jesus. So in passage 25, it tells us clearly that he didn't have sexual relations with her until her son was born. After Jesus was born, she had relations with Joseph and had other siblings, amen? amen? So we understand that she is not a virgin anymore, okay? This, we just believe what the Bible says. We don't try to twist it or take it out of context. It says what it says, and it is what it is. Jesus had brothers and sisters. Just like whoever's brothers and sisters right now. Spiritual brothers and sisters, amen? Jesus is running, his blood is running to all of the believer right now. It's a mysterious thing. But we all have Jesus in us. That's why we are so eager to learn about him. That's why we're so eager to, to read his word. Things changed in our hearts. I remember before I was uh, a believer in Jesus, I could care less what the Bible said in it. I, never, I had it as a decoration. My mother had the Bible on the table, but I never thought of looking at it. All of a sudden, now I can't get out of it. That's how you know that something happened. Right? Isn't it beautiful? And then you want other people's eyes to get opened. So that's what we try to do. Try to live by these spiritual principles. I'll put a big amen there. Okay. First Thessalonians, we did end in verse 12. I think it went verse 13 of chapter 3. I think it's the last verse. And I should have finished it, but, but just let me um, say a couple things. about applying this. First Thessalonians and Second Thessalonians shows us how to apply the scripture. Let me ask you this question. Do you ever feel though your Christian faith has grown stale sometimes? Right? That you're withering on the vine when you would rather be flourishing in his service? Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians is the perfect remedy for such a feeling. Its focus on Christ's return provides water for our thirsty souls today. Encouraging growth and maturity by providing hope in the midst of suffering or uncertainty. Now, we know it's the Christmas season, right? But it just seems like, I don't know, America's not recognizing it like it used to. It's still there, but it just don't sense the, you know, the Holy Spirit working, people, you know, it, it just seems, people seem harder than they've ever been, even though it's the season that it's ever been. Like most people can't wait for it to be over because they figure they're going to go into financial debt and buy everything for everybody and it's just a big mess. And I can't wait till it's done. But I'm just glad we have the uh, Advent, right? As somebody put the candles on tonight. Who put the candles on? <laughs> Thank you, Lord, for reminding us that there's hope, there's peace, there's joy. And next 
when Sunday comes up, is going to show the law, right? The law in Christ, his birth. Big amen, right? The Savior. Paul's specific practical instruction for this process of sanctification can be applied directly to our current circumstances. By clinging to our hope in Christ, we may see several clear results in our lives. Avoiding sexual sin, refusing to defraud others, or to talk about people, appreciating those Christians who serve on your behalf, Right? Refusing to repay evil for evil. Rejoicing always. Praying without ceasing. And giving thanks in all things to name a few. As we go into 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. This list of course is not exhaustive. But the first letter to the Thessalonians makes it clear that every Christian should expect to grow in holiness over the course of his or her life. So we understand this is a marathon. This isn't a sprint, okay? We come, we start to grow, two steps forward, three steps back. We come back and we're still climbing up the stairs. How many of us fight every day in flesh? No matter how long you've been walking with the Lord, the closer you get in the spirit, the more the flesh, the devil wants the flesh to come out, especially this time of the year, right? Wants us to make it look like it's a hassle more than a blessing. But the main thing people need to open as a present is a Bible. See, buy everybody a Bible for Christmas. We see how many people, yay, all right, you bought me a Bible. You must have got the wrong list. I gave you another list. There wasn't a Bible on that list. You must get the wrong person. No, no, no. This is, the, this is the best gift you could ever get. <laughs> All right, let's go there. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. We are just going to go, let's see what we are here. Let's go to verse 11. We'll come down. Okay. May God our Father and our Lord Jesus bring us to you very soon. And may the Lord make your love for one another and for all people grow and overflow. Just as our love for you overflows. So before we go on, if we're full of God's love, okay, it will overflow to others. It's not enough merely to be courteous to others. We must actively and persistently show love to them. Our love should be growing continually. If your capacity to love has remained unchanged for some time, ask God to fill you again with his never-ending supply of love. Then look for opportunities to let his love spill over in refreshment to others. Now is the season to show the love of Jesus. Amen? All right. 13. May he, as a result, make your heart strong, blameless, and holy as you stand before God our Father when our Lord Jesus comes again with all his holy people. Amen. Okay, listen. When our Lord Jesus comes again with all his holy people refers to the second coming of Christ. 
That's what it's talking about here. When he will establish his eternal kingdom, right? At that time, Christ will gather all believers, those who have died and those who are alive, into one united family under his rule. All believers from all times, including these Thessalonian believers, will live with Christ in his kingdom. All the people in the Bible that we recognize from the Old Testament are going to be there with us when he comes back. Amen? And the, our loved ones that died are going to come back with Jesus too, it says. And um, chapter 4, as we get into it, is going to explain that very clearly to us. So let's go there. Everybody ready? Okay. Let me get some smart water in. I feel smarter now. <laughs> All right. Live to please God. Finally, dear brothers and sisters, we urge you in the name of the Lord Jesus to live in a way that pleases God, as we have taught you. You live this way already, and we encourage you to do so even more. For you remember what we taught you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. So now, does it matter the way we live as Christians? Amen. What does it say here? In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, Verse 1, it tells us, he says, we urge you in the name of the Lord to live in a way that pleases God. Why do churches not really make that point really clear that the way you live matters? They say that what you believe matters. Yeah, but what you believe will affect the way you live. The evidence of salvation is a changed life. You want to please God. You want to do the right thing. We know we got this stubborn flesh. Very stubborn flesh. I know I'm, I was brought up Italian, and I'm very stubborn. And this flesh is always warring against my spirit. Just like your flesh always wars against your spirit. So I can empathize with you, because I know every day I have to go into this crazy world, into this crazy traffic, with these crazy self-absorbed people, and try to live like Jesus. First Thessalonians was doing the same thing in Thessalonica. Uh, Thessalonica was like America. It was prosperous. There was gifts everywhere. And there was all different faiths out there of religion that were trying to take them away from Jesus, just like right now. There was denominations. There was believers that believed in all kinds of, you know, crazy stuff like people believe in today. So us Christians are almost like in a container right now. Everybody can do whatever they want. But when you talk about Christians, people don't want to hear it. They don't want to hear about Jesus. They don't want to hear about anything. You can tell them about anything else. But when it comes to the Bible and Jesus, we're, we're bad. I mean, we've had some incidents around here that are going on that we're trying to keep the church safe and people safe. And they're saying, like, you're bad people. And I'm like, it's not bad to obey the law of the land and to protect our property. But they make it sound like, because you're a church, you should let us do whatever you want. We have a wife. It's different. It doesn't apply to the church. And I'm like, that's the devil, see? The devil is making people think 
that we're bad and the people out there are good. When we're doing the right thing and they're doing the wrong thing. It's crazy. All right, so look what it says in verse 3. God's will is for you to be holy. So stay away from all sexual sin. So now, what does holy mean in the Bible? It simply means separated. Holy means separated from the ways of the world and what? We're, we're in the ways of the word. So it tells us to stay away from sexual sin. So now let me re reiterate on that a little bit. Okay? In verse 3, it tells us it's God's will for us to be holy. But how can we go about doing that? How can we be holy? We live in such an unholy place. And we have such unholy hearts. Right? How can we do that? The Bible teaches that holiness is not a state of perfection. Okay? That comes with hard work, severe discipline, or good deeds. Instead, if you have accepted Christ's sacrifice on your behalf and given your life to Him, then God already sees you as holy and complete in His eyes. Can I get an amen here? He already sees us like He sees Jesus. Now, do we see ourselves that way? No. But He sees us that way. The moment you believe in Jesus, He sees you like He sees His Son. Isn't that beautiful? That's how he sees us. He doesn't see our sin anymore. He sees his son in us. Now listen. He sees us completely in his eyes as if you never sinned. We are sinless in his eyes. Jesus' death and resurrection has cleansed you from the ravaging effects of sin. Listen now. But that doesn't release you from the call to good conduct as a follower of Jesus. As one of his disciples... As my brother Oliver called, said it in the prayer, disciples, right? You will want to continue to learn, grow, and mature in your faith in life during your time here on earth. This is a lifelong process called sanctification. As the Holy Spirit works in you, conforming you to the image of Jesus Christ, 829 Romans, the goal is to be more and more like him every day. So when I wake up in the morning, my goal is to be more like Jesus. So every Christian's goal when you wake up in the morning is to become more and more like Jesus. And he's going to do things in your life to give you the opportunity to do that. Can I get an amen here? Now all he is is sitting here tonight because you want to learn about Jesus, right? Now think about before you, before you, was, before you were saved. Did you care? I didn't care. Now, all of a sudden, I want to please God. Not because I have to, because I want to. You're all sitting here tonight because you want to, right? Did I ever make it an obligation that you have to come here? Something in your heart makes you want to come here. You don't have to come here. You want to come here. Isn't that beautiful? See, religion tells you you have to be here. And spirituality shows you that you want to be here. That's your spirit inside of you, the Holy Spirit. Now you get an amen here. Look at verse 4. Now it tells us to stay away. And verse 4 says, Then you, each of you will control his own body. Alright? Or will know to take a wife for himself. Or will learn to live with his own wife. In the Greek it says, will know how to possess 
his own vessel. That's what it means. It'll be able to control your desires. That's what it's saying. And live in holiness and honor, not in lustful passion like the pagans who do not know God in his ways. Before Christ, we lived in lust. Not just lust sexually, but lust for things. Now it's saying, not in lustful passion like the pagans. We, we used to be pagans. If you weren't a Jew, you were a Gentile or a pagan. But we're not pagans anymore. We're what? Believer priests. We're holy. We're Jesus' disciples. So he tells us to stay away from that. Is that, is that hurt? Does it hurt God if you fall into it? No, it hurts you. Sexual sin is against your own body. That's why he says it's so dangerous. Now listen. Paul said in verse 4 and five and 4 that Paul said that lustful passion should not control God's people. Some argue that if they already sinned by having lustful thoughts, they might as well go ahead with lustful actions too. No, that it doesn't work that way. We get lustful thoughts, but we don't have to what? Carry it out. It says, but acting out sinful desires is harmful in several ways. Let me tell you why. One, it causes people to excuse sin rather than to stop sinning. Two, in marriages, it violates a covenant made with God and destroys trust. Three, it is done in deliberate rebellion against God's word. And four, it always hurts someone else in addition to the sinner. Sinful actions are nevertheless sinful desires are just as damaging to righteousness, right? Sinful actions are more dangerous than sinful desires. Why? So these desires should not be acted out. Nevertheless, sinful desires are just as damaging to righteousness. Left unchecked, unholy desires will result in unholy actions and will turn people away from God. What, is, what does he say in James? It, it gives birth to sin. So if we let the thought process keep coming, the lustful actions become, the lustful desires become a lustful action. Very dangerous. So now, why isn't this being taught in, in the in, in, in Bible? Why isn't it being taught in churches? People are, people are actually doing it inside churches. Because we don't have to understand how dangerous this is. How it defiles you. Verse 6. Never harm or cheat a fellow believer in this matter by violating his wife. For the Lord avenges all such sins. As we have solemnly warned you before, God has called us to live holy lives, not impure lives. Therefore, anyone who refuses to live by these rules is not disobeying human teaching, but is rejecting God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. So these teachings are not being disobeyed. You're not disobeying me. If you go out and do it, you're disobeying who? God. 
Can I get a big amen here? Why are people afraid to talk about this stuff? Because this is the biggest sin out there right now. Let me get a little smarter. <laughs> Here's the way it works. Whatever we fell into in our lives, right? It could have been pornography. It could have been multiple partners. It could have been a lot of things before we got saved. Now, after we get saved, what does the devil do? He tempts us with the desires that we used to have. So, especially sexual desires, they burn an imprint in your mind, and the devil, he comes in and he puts a lustful thought into your head. Even when you might be sitting in church or while you're praying. It's evil. So we have to understand, we have to what? Fight that and say, no, Lord, please. I repent from that, Lord. I don't want to do that anymore. But the devil, you have to understand, the war against the flesh and the spirit is always going to be. Whatever sin you fell into is always going to be a temptation for you. Always. That doesn't go away. But we have the power to what? Say, no. Can I get an amen? amen? This is a dangerous sin. Sexual sin ruins churches. It ruins churches and it ruins what? Marriages and relationships. Now, let me just reiterate on this. Sexual standards were very low in the Roman Empire. Back then when we were talking here now, okay? And in many societies today, they are not any higher. The temptation to engage in sex outside of marriage has always been powerful. Giving in to that temptation can have disastrous results. Sexual sins always hurt someone, individuals, families, businesses, churches, and more. Sexual desires and activities must be placed under Christ's control. Now listen. God created sex for what? Procreation and pleasure and is an expression of love between a husband and a wife. Can I get an amen here? The sexual experience, therefore, must be limited to marriage. Besides the physical consequences of sexual sin, there are also spiritual consequences. Okay? We live in a culture focused on fulfilling individual desires that teaches, if it feels good, do it. It's the right time for me. But Paul clearly states that premarital sex, adultery, and anything that qualifies as lust is a rejection of God himself. If we engage in these things, we are not simply disobeying rules set by people but are acting as though we know more than our mighty God. As followers of Christ, we have the benefit of the guidance of the Holy Spirit. When you are tempted, ask Him to strengthen you and show you what to do next. He'll always provide a way of what? Escape. I don't know about you, but I am not exempt from this. I fell into many things before I had Jesus. And there's things out there that, that tempt me. So what do I have to do? Please, Lord, put a God over my eyes. 
Remember what he said in Job? Job said, if I looked at a young woman, it plucked my eyes out. Because he didn't want to sin against God. And you know, it's like so hard to be like, have tunnel vision. Because you know, you know, especially in America, back, back in them days, women were covered. They were covered. You couldn't see anything. America, Do I have to go any further with this? No. No. It's like wintertime and they're not covered. So what does it do? It causes what? Lustful thoughts in a man or a woman's heart. The Bible tells us to run. Run. It doesn't say to try to resist it. It says to run. There's so many things that tempt us out there. You know, you're married to the same person for years and years and years. You grow older, and then you see something young, and then everybody, ooh, you know. It, the devil loves to put lust in believers' hearts in church. And my wife will tell you, the biggest sin in the church today is pornography. Unfortunately. Why? Because it's not talked about. Right? It's not repented of. No, everybody just, shh, that's bad. Don't talk about it. Well, our secrets of our sins grow in the darkness and die in the light of exposure. No. Why am I talking about this? Because it's in the Bible. I'm reading what the Bible tells us about it. So I can't go around it. So I got to talk about it. Now, let's, verse, let's go to verse 9. But we don't need to write you about the importance of loving each other. And where was I? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I was in verse 9. I read verse 8. Yeah. But we don't need to write you about the importance of loving each other. Right? About brotherly love. For God himself has taught you to love one another. Paul said, I shouldn't have to write to you. The most important thing inside the church is to what? Love one another. When we all got together Saturday night, wasn't it a beautiful time? Wasn't it beautiful? Nobody was bickering and fighting. Everybody showed love down there. Everybody was getting along. You don't even see that in your own house. Never mind in God's, in God's house. We all love each other and accept each other. In, in our biological house, everybody bickering back and forth all the time. Right? I remember when I was, when my family was big, a lot of them passed away, but there was always arguments at Christmas Eve or Christmas. Everybody was arguing. Everybody would start tipping the sauce, right? And then all bets were off, actually stop fights. That's why we know that alcohol doesn't bring out the Holy Spirit, does it? Just imagine if there was, if we had all were drinking downstairs, what that would have been like. Right, you know the difference, right? If everybody was drinking down there, what comes up? The devil. We stop what? Picking at each other. Everybody starts getting really loud, you know? Everybody starts. <laughs> it's like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. You ever notice somebody before they drink and then after they have a few drinks, their voice changes, everything changes. They start talking about things that they would have never talked about until they started drinking. Mm -hmm. Alcohol is a Christian's enemy. 
Because why is it your enemy? Well, the Bible says alcohol itself isn't bad, but getting drunk is. So now you have to ask yourself, I'm on the fence now. When is getting drunk? When am I getting drunk? And when am I just drinking? So if you're starting to feel the effect of alcohol, you already drank too much. Because it's supposed to be enjoyed with your dinner. Like if somebody has a glass of wine with their dinner, just for the, to enjoy it. Not to what? Escape from the world. So what's the best thing for a Christian to do? To be safe. Avoid it altogether. Do I have a problem with drinking? No. Why don't I drink? Because I don't want to cause somebody else to stumble. Because there's people that can't have just one. So what do you do? Don't drink at all in front of anybody. Because I'm an example. So I don't do it. Why? For this benefit of other believers. So well, it's okay. The Bible doesn't say anything about that, that you can't drink. No, it doesn't say anything. Well, Jesus drank wine. This is what people do. Just so they can justify drinking a gallon of wine. I'm not going to condone it at all. Because I know what it does. I've never seen alcohol, people that drink alcohol, have anything good come out of it. Never. I've never seen anything good from it. So, if nothing good comes from it, and I become more unholy, why would me as a Christian go and do that to what? Dishonor Jesus. It would be better just to avoid it altogether. Because, let me, let's just get it right. It doesn't taste good. Grape juice tastes good. Glass of lemonade tastes good. That other stuff's like gasoline, saying this doesn't taste good. They're not drinking it because it tastes good. They're drinking it because it feels good. I digress. All I know is this, I don't do it. And there's no alcohol in my house. That's probably why nobody's there. Right? You go, to, you, 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 tell, you invite people over your house, say, but I don't have any alcohol. See how many people show up. Right? If, they, if the people love you for you, they'll come over. It doesn't matter if there's alcohol there. <laughs> no. Well, let's just read what the Bible says. Look at verse 10. Indeed, you already show your love for all the believers, right? Throughout Macedonia. Even so, dear brothers and sisters, we urge you to love them even more. So in other words, our love has to keep growing. 1 Corinthians 13 love has to keep growing. Like my love for my wife is growing. Why is it growing? Did I, have I always loved her? Yes. But I'm loving, I'm, I'm beginning to love her in a more accepting way. In other words, it always was conditional, right? If my wife is doing good and buying things, I'm really good with her and I love her. But I say I love her when something's bad. I might say it, but I'm not. There's no love there. I'm aggravated with her. <laughs> but now, I can honestly say I love her even when I'm not getting along with her because it's not conditional. Right? That's what the Bible's teaching me, to love her 
no matter what's going on. Am I perfect? No, but I'm getting there. Because it's so much easier to accept someone than it is to try to change them. You ever try to change somebody? How's it working? I don't know how many times my wife tells me time after time to do something. And then she finally says, I'm, I'm going in the prayer closet. I'm going to pray to Jesus. And when, he, when she does, right, then I stop. Then, I, then I, all of a sudden, out of the kindness, then I do it. But when she's pecking at me, it doesn't work. You peck at, you peck at, your, you know, you peck at your wife, that only makes them what? The wall go up. You don't change. Unconditional love, uh, the unconditional love of God is not easy because sometimes it's harsh on the other believer. In other words, my wife tells me things that I don't want to hear sometimes, but it's good for me because she loves me. In other words, to tell me something like that in my character that needs to change because she loves me. So human love, worldly love is, I don't want to hurt their feelings, so I'm not going to say anything to them. Because I don't want them not to like me. But if you love somebody, you won't let them go over the cliff. You'll tell them. Because we can't see it. I'm so glad she tells me that. But I don't like it. I'm going to be honest with you. But it's good for me. See, it's good medicine to be told the truth about our character. Who in here doesn't have character defect? <laughs> We're all defective in our character. And... When we want to change, we should welcome it. When somebody tells us something about our character, instead of getting offended, Laurie well, we did an awesome study on offense and assumptions, instead of getting offended, we should thank God that somebody brought it to the light for me so I can see it. So You can't change something you can't see. So when God brings it to the light, you should thank him. Instead of getting what bitter and offended, a Christian should get better and more spiritual. So we got a lot of growing up to do, don't we? Amen. How many of us still get offended when somebody says something or says something to you? Oh, yeah. Is that the spirit? Or is that the flesh? flesh. <laughs> it sure is. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Nobody likes to be, to, to be corrected, especially human beings. Well, you'll just say, what about you? Right? Yeah. Somebody tries to correct you. What about you? Right? <laughs> now, let's see what it says. Let's go to verse 10. Indeed, you already show your love for all the believers throughout Macedonia. Even so, dear brothers and sisters, we urge you to love them even more. Now, if you don't, if you, let me just tell you this. If you don't set goals in your Christian life, then you'll never change or you'll never grow. You have to set goals. Like, all right, I'm going to grow spiritually. I'm going to become more patient. So now I'm going to make it a goal to be patient. So when you make it a goal to be patient, God is going to send impatient people in front of you so you can make it a goal to, not, to be more patient. There is no growth without resistance. Christians have to understand that. Look what it says. Make it a goal to live a crazy life. Oh, wait a minute. Did I say that wrong? 
It says, make it a goal to live a what? A quiet life, minding your own business and working with your hands just as we instructed you before. Why? Why is that important for a Christian? Look what he says in verse 12. Then people who are not believers will respect the way you live and you will not need to depend on others. So living a Christ-like life will show up. People who are not believers will respect you for that. No. Can I get an amen with this? Your next door neighbors should respect the way you, because you live a different way. You care about them. You, you want them to, you want the best for them. Now, you might have some next door neighbors that are not quite your type. But, does that give us a reason to not like them? Or do you think God put them there? He's not going to put perfect. But wouldn't you like to be surrounded by people from church in your neighborhood? Wouldn't you love to have a church neighborhood community? Right? How the heck are you supposed to grow? <laughs> How are you supposed to love your enemies if there's none around you? Right? So, if we understand that the people around us are there to what? Help us to grow and change. We should welcome it, not what? Get angry or bitter about it. The truth will set you free. Now listen. Christian living is more than simply loving other Christians. We must be responsible in all areas of our life. Some of the Thessalonian Christians had adopted lives of idleness, depending on others for handouts. So Paul told the Thessalonians to work hard and live quiet lives. You can't be effective in sharing your faith with others if they don't respect you. Whatever you do, do it faithfully, work hard, and be a positive influence in your community. I'll tell you what, my wife's a, po a positive incident in my street. She makes it so it stays safe there. Because if, we, if you don't, it becomes a lawless street where tractor trailers are parking on the side of the road, hindering your vision, could run over a kid or whatever. When, when I look down my street, there's no cars there. Like it's supposed to be. There's signs everywhere that says no parking anytime. Why? Because the street's narrow, and it hinders us to see anything. So, when people park there, people are lawless out there now. It says no parking any time, and they park right under the sign. I know. And sometimes when you call the police, they don't come. I know. It's like, we follow, Christians are supposed to follow the laws of the land and respect the laws of the land. Not be disobedient like the rest of the world is. So even though sometimes it irritates me, it's a good thing because it's for the safety of the neighborhood. Because when you see strange cars parked around, you don't know what they're doing. They could hurt or, or, or steal or whatever it is. 
planning on doing because, I don't know, anybody got one of them ring doorbells? I see like 52 uh, things that are trying to warn me that something's going on in the neighborhoods. Those ring, those ring cameras warn you that, you know, down the street there was a, sh a gunshot or somebody was walking by, um, somebody broke into someone's car. Yeah, they alert you, which is a good thing. Because, like I said, nobody would, would care about the cameras if they're not doing anything wrong. Right? So if somebody, how, how many, they're, they're stealing packages, they're actually hijacking the trucks now. They're not waiting for them to drop it off. They're going inside the truck. Like, imagine the, the drivers, the fear. They're going in there at gunpoint, robbing all the packages from the Amazon truck or, UP, or UPS or FedEx. If you remember years ago, touching anybody's mail was a federal offense. It's supposed to be, but you see how law, people don't care anymore. They'll rob your mail. A package delivered to your house is mail. So when they steal that, it's a federal offense. But people are running up and stealing it. Before, nobody would touch anybody's mail. Never. Never. Why? Because they get away with it. I remember I had something to, supposed to deliver to my house. They delivered it to the apartments, right? They delivered. To, they never. They never. They never like brought it to Twenty Five Herder Street. They kept it, and then they had to resend me another one. Yeah, that's what people do. They kept it instead of bringing it to the house. Like if somebody, if there's a package at my house that says, say it says a different address, I'll bring it to the house and say, hey, look, they, they delivered it to my house. That's the right thing to do, right? <laughs> they didn't do it. They kept it. It's crazy. But did anybody do anything about it? No. They didn't do anything about it. They just sent me another one, and they got one for free. I had to pay the 300 for what I wanted. That's what's going on out there. It's lawless. Instead of investigating on where the package went, they just wrote it off and sent me another one. And the people got away with it. So who, who cares? It's becoming, the Bible said it was going to happen, a lawless society. But if you park under a no parking any time sign and don't think that they're going to do anything, why not? They're not going to do anything. I'm not going to get a ticket. There's a reason why it says no parking any time. And the Bible tells us as Christians to obey the laws. We try to obey the laws here, we get persecuted for it. We got lawbreakers all around us, right? Breaking the law everywhere. So they want us to break the law here and let them do whatever they want to do. We gotta, we gotta, we're like Fort Knox over here. Got lights everywhere, cameras everywhere. Why? Because people don't care. They're lawless. No trespassing. Don't, I don't go in your yard. I don't want you in our yard. We don't know what you're doing here. How about a big amen? All right. The hope of the resurrection. Look at verse 13. And now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died. Or it says in the Greek, to those who have fallen asleep. 
So you will not grieve like people who have no hope. Right? When people pass away, people grieve because they don't think they're ever going to see them again. See, as Christians, we don't grieve like that because we know we're going to see them again. Look what it says. He's going to tell us why. So you won't grieve. Look at verse 14. For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised from to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. There it is right there. We tell you this, this is what it says. We tell you this directly from the Lord. So it's directly from God. That definitely came from the Lord's mouth. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who have died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God. Here's what's going to happen. Here's the order. First, the believers who have died will rise from their graves. Then, together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up. That's the rapture. The rapture means caught up. We'll be caught up, right? See what it says? In the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. So if we're still alive, when Jesus, I believe, I, I'm hoping that I'm still alive when he comes back. So we're not going to have to experience that. We're just going to get taken out of here. It's not going to be awesome. But just, but just think how it's going to be sad for the people that you wanted to come with us. Because they didn't believe, they're not coming. They're going to stay down here and get judged. And we're going to be taken up out of here. So wouldn't it be, wouldn't you want the people you love to come with you? That's why it's so important to tell people about Jesus so we can all be together again. Look, if you're not a believer, you're not, you're not going. So it says... So encourage each other with these words. So this is the encouragement we have. Listen, this isn't our permanent home. We're going to take it out of here. Jesus come, Jesus, come back. If Jesus comes back and we're alive, guess what? We're going to get whisked out of here. I think there was a, a movie. Was it called Left Behind? Something like that? Where it showed people were flying. And then like the person next to them was gone and they were still there. This is called left behind. Yeah. Like, they were just taken out. So, it's going to happen in the blink of an eye. But see, here's the thing. We don't know when it's going to happen. It could happen right now. And you, and you thought you wanted to talk to somebody, but you were, the devil stopped you from talking about Jesus because of the fear he puts in us. Guess what? That opportunity's gone, and they might not be able to come with us. It's important. Well, that was the last of that chapter, by the way. So encourage each other with these words. Now let me just say something before we close tonight. The Thessalonians were wondering why many of their fellow believers had died and what would happen to them when Christ returned. See, they didn't know, right? So Paul wanted the Thessalonians to understand that death is not the end of the story, okay? The great 
listen, the great hope for all believers is in the resurrection. Okay? Because Jesus Christ came back to life, so will all believers, including those who have already died. Take my mother and father asleep right now. My other brother. I'm going to see him again. It's awesome. Right? That's, that's the hope we have. We need not despair. Therefore, when loved ones die or the world events take a tragic turn, God will turn tragedy into triumph. Poverty to riches, pain to glory, and defeat to victory. All believers throughout history will ultimately stand reunited in God's very presence. Just imagine. We've seen that, um, what was the movie? The Beamer Scene. Remember? That was awesome. Safe and secure. As Paul comforted the Thessalonians with the promise of the resurrection, we should comfort and reassure each other with this great hope. When Christ returns, all believers dead and alive will be reunited never to suffer or die again.